welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Hey church, stand up with me. We're going to read the word as is our custom. And we are in the last chapter of 1 Samuel. Can you believe it? It only took a year and a half to get through. (laughs) And um, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to read through verse 7. The death of Saul, you all know how it goes. Everybody with me, let's do it. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived with them. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and living. God, it's eternal. It's powerful. Uh, it's what we, we, we uh, live by. It's the, it's the compass for how we get through this world. And it's actually also the compass that leads us to you and your throne, God. So, God, let us live in such a way that your word actually is the navigation system of our life. Let it be good seed planted into the soil of our heart this morning, that it would produce kingdom of heaven life, not ideas of man, not cool philosophy, but God's way. Let it be rooted in our life. Let it be integrated in how we live let it be the, the compass by which we live our life in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Turn. Give your neighbor a high five. Have a seat. Boom. Let's hear some slaps. Come on. Slap them. Slap them up. Well, God bless you, King's Church. Patrick, how you doing back there? When are you getting married? A couple of weeks? A couple of months? Come on. Marriage in Jesus' name all over this place. Holy Spirit marriage guns. Nikki and Travis are getting married in a couple weeks right there. When a plane, when like there's a, uh, a bike, what's the, the wind behind it? The draft, is that right? Get in the draft, single people. Get in the draft. Get in that marriage draft, that matrimonial draft. All right. Um, Good to see you guys. I was gone last Sunday. Was I gone two weeks in a row? No. I don't think you felt like it. (laughs) Um, One Sunday, you liar. (laughs) Um, But I was with the boys upstate, and Gabe brought the house down with an incredible word last week on Ziklag. Thank you, Gabriel Finocchio, for being such a strength to our body. Uh, You are a strength. And if you don't follow Woke Jesus, follow it. Be offended. Be deeply offended. Weekly. Daily. Be offended with daily updates. (laughs) I wanted to give a quick just kind of house update. Our lease ends in this space in two, about two weeks. 
And so what does that mean? That means it just would be super helpful if you prayed. No. <laughs> we have a couple of really amazing opportunities for spaces that haven't we haven't signed on the dotted line yet, but I really, really, really um, am hopeful that God is going to bless us with a really awesome space um, that seats significantly more people because for the last six months we've had most of our seats taken and then people standing along the back little walls. And uh, it's not that we're gunning for a big church. We're not. You know, the, you know the phrase, we're trying to grow big Christians, not big churches. But there's other people in New York City that need a home, right? There's other people that want to be growing in their faith with Christ. So we want to have more room, and I think God's going to do that. Well, my friend um, Andy, who's a uh, pastor's Providence Baptist Church in town, they are a tiny church that's growing too, and they're out of space, and they're uh, desperately seeking money for a new space. And so I just thought, God, well, we need new space, and they need new space. You know, it would be awesome if we sowed into what they need so, God, you'll open the doors for us, right? That's kind of how the kingdom works. You don't hoard when you're in need. That's not how God's kingdom works. You sow when you're in need. You serve when you're in need. You reach out when you're in need, right? You don't hoard. That's not how it works. Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. How many people know that God is in the business of reward? It's not an Old Testament concept. God still rewards today. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In 2 Corinthians 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly, will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. So we have needs and they have needs. So we're going to sow into their needs. Do you know what New York City needs more of to change New York City? Do you know what it needs more of? Yes. Who <laughs> said that? <laughs> it doesn't need more homeless shelters. It, sh it should have more homeless shelters, but it doesn't need more homeless shelters. And it doesn't need more converts. It needs more churches that are discipling people into the way of Jesus Christ. That will change our city and our nation and our world. We are in the business of sowing into churches that are making disciples to change the world. I love homeless ministry. I love giving to the poor. We've done a lot of that as a church. I love evangelism. We do that every Saturday as a church. I love it. But will change New York City is more disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we as a church are going to sow into Providence Baptist. We're going to give them $20,000 this week. Isn't that exciting? to sow into the building that they need because we're saying, God, we want you to open a door for us. Amen? All right, so it's going to be great. Pray for it. Memorial Day right now. Does, does anybody serve in the Army here? Um, yeah, Richard. Richard served. Thank you, Richard, for your service. Um, and so it's Memorial Day weekend. If you have a family or loved one that served, please call them, text them. Without warriors in a nation, we all die, right? If we don't have protectors, the wolves come in and eat all of us. That's how that goes, right? And we have a culture that hates protectors. It wants to uh, eradicate the protector. And I think because the devil knows that when the protector is gone, the wolves can come in and eat freely. The scripture says when the shepherd is struck, the, the wolves come in and scatter the sheep. That's what happens. And the enemy would love for our protectors to be dishonored and disrespected and hated. I have this American flag shirt. I was wearing it the other day. I'm going to wear it 4th of July. It's ridiculous. It's all stripes on this side and all stars on this side because I love our country. It doesn't mean I think our country's perfect. I love myself, and I trust me, I'm not perfect. I love our country. It's my country. It's the country that God gave me. 
Romans 9, Paul says, I would give my salvation for my people, my race, my Israel, my country. And I love America like that. I love the, the country God gave me. I was wearing the shirt yesterday, and they're like, you, the, the dirty looks I get wearing an American shirt. It's, 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 it's shocking. Like, people are disgusted that I would wear an American flag shirt. And they live here. <laughs> right? And they live here. It's like they'd rather have, they'd rather live here and wear the maple leaf, you know? God bless Canada, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but it's of the nature of hell to hate your home. It's of the nature of hell to hate where you live, where you belong, to hate your parents, to hate what begot you. It's of the nature of hell. It's of the nature of heaven to honor your mom and dad, even if they weren't perfect, and honor your home, even if it's not perfect. And honor those who laid down their lives for you, even if it wasn't always done perfectly. Amen? So we love our soldiers. Yeah, you can clap at that one. That was good. That was clap worthy. All right, last week we were in Ziklag. David was there, and that word Ziklag means a place that is, uh, the word literally means a measure pressed down. Is anyone a baker at King's Church? Do we have any bakers? Are there any New York City? Ansel Adams Bakery, is that what it's called? Ansel, or is that the painter? That's a different guy? Dominique Ansel, I think that's the bakery, that's right. Um, you know, when you're doing baking, they ask for a cup of brown sugar packed, right? They don't ask for like a random cup of brown sugar, they want it pressed down. Well, Ziklag, the word means a measure that's been pushed down. And you could think of it like this, the container of self, the person that's under pressure by outside circumstances. And we see David's response. We see the righteous king's response that he strengthens himself in. There's a couple of people paid attention, Gabe. Two or three. David strengthened himself in. There it is. And um, there's this really interesting picture. Check this out. First Samuel 31.3. It's the next chapter. And it says this. And it says, and the battle pressed hard against Saul. So in the previous chapter, we have David at Ziklag, which means a measure pressed down, a king was being pressed. In the very next chapter, we have another king that's being pressed, and the outcome is very different. It's distinctly different. Parallel chapters, David's pressed. It is bad. All of his people are gone. All of his wives and children are taken. Massive army. Has, has taken all their people. His own people want to kill him. The situation is actually brighter for Saul. He's with his own army. He's with his military. He's got his boys with him. And he's also in a place where he's pressed hard against. And the outcome is entirely different. You know, there's the, 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 the basic premise here, and, and I think this is easy to understand if you paid attention last week message is there's two ways to strengthen yourself in our walk. You can strengthen yourself in the Lord or you can strengthen yourself in yourself, right? You can strengthen yourself. You can find substance, right, to strengthen you, which is a very kind of short-term fix for strengthening, right? Alcohol, whatever kind of substance makes you feel better really is a bad way of strengthening yourself because you just kind of forget the problems for the moment and then you're just back in the mix of the problems except maybe with now a pain, a liver pain, right? Scoliosis. Is that, is that a liver disease? No? I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. Sorry. <laughs> Skin disease. 
sorry, cirrhosis, thank you. <laughs> cirrhosis, our alcoholic said, cirrhosis, okay. <laughs> so you strengthen yourself in substance, you end up in pain. Uh, there's this other way that you can, you can strengthen yourself in your own successes. Like, I'm going to write out the list of my successes. Like, I started this business, and I one time, like, made it through this situation. You can strengthen yourself in your own righteousness, your own acts. Not a good way. It's like the world. That's the TED Talk way, right? You're having a hard time. Just write out all the great stuff you did. Steven Saldana. Can I say Danya? Am I allowed to throw the Enya in there? Thank you. Saldana, it's in, he's got the enyes in my phone. This is a debate between Bethany and I, I'm sorry. She says Saldana, I say Saldana. It's tomato, tomato. Anyway, Stephen preached last Sunday night and brought the house down. He shared his testimony, and he's going to do it again in, uh, in the next couple months here on Sunday morning. That's like the big leagues. Sunday morning is the big leagues. Sunday night is the minors. Sunday morning is the majors. Um, but the th amazing thing about Stephen, and you don't get this when he's standing here, he was like a Tasmanian devil of a party life. Like, you know, just every day, gallons of cocaine, gallons. <laughs> every night, you know, hordes of prostitutes. No, I'm joking. <laughs> At least I hope I am. Um, <laughs> party life to the max. Successful international business. Started his own, was it an orphanage? Helping poor people build houses in poor areas of the world. Everything that the world says, this is the apex. Party life, successful business, helping poor people, still not for God. It ended up in chaos and nothing. I just want to, Stephen to go to a TED Talk one day and say, all the stuff you guys saying is going to make you successful leads to death and destruction if Jesus is not a part of it. If there's not ultimate purpose in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And so there's two ways to strengthen yourself. In yourself. Uh, or you can strengthen yourself in the Lord. And I think this story shows us that if you practice strengthening yourself in yourself, then you're practicing your own suicide. You're practicing the pathway to your own suicide. Because Saul is a guy that's in love with himself. He's all about himself, his own kingdom, his own power, his own dominion, all of these things. And ultimately, he can't strengthen himself in his strength because he's out of strength, so he has to kill himself. The, the end of, the, of life for those who are consumed with self is called self-consumption. That's my, one of my favorite pictures in that book out there, Good Kills, that I wrote, is the Ouroboros, which is the snake consuming its own tail. If evil really is, like this perfect icon of evil, is consumption of self, that you kill your own life with consumption of self, that your entire life is about your dreams and your purposes and your pleasure and your consumption, and it ends, it gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it ends in suicide like Saul's life. That's what evil does. That's the nature of evil. The nature of good is to proliferate and produce life. The nature of evil is to consume life for the sake of self. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, we can see Saul's consumption with his, own, uh, uh, with his own pride, his own arrogance, his own kingdoms. It says this, and as the women danced, they sang out, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Verse 8 says, and Saul was furious and resented the song. And the rage builds up in Saul because some other kingdom is bigger than his own. 
some other person's life is outshining his own, and so it builds rage inside of him because he's all about his own kingdom and his own life. You know, C.S. Lewis says about pride, he says, competition is really the essential root of pride. It's to be better than another. And if you think about a prideful person in New York City, maybe on Fashion Avenue, and they're walking around, you know, they're better than you, right? And their head is up and their nose is up and they're, and they're wearing Dior. I don't know if Dior is cool anymore. I don't know what's cool. They're better than you because the root of pride is competition. It's to be better than others, subjugate others, and lift yourself up. Jesus said, if you want to be great, become the servant of all. Jesus didn't destroy the desire of greatness. He gave us the right formula for it. He didn't say you're evil for wanting to be great. He said the way to do it is not by sticking your nose up, being in competition for, with those around you, but serving those around you, laying your life down for other, rather than consuming life for your own sake. In New York, like the billboard, coming into the city should be consume life for your own sake. The parties, the business, the, 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 the castles, the towers that are built as icons to the success of individuals. I think um, Ezekiel 28 it's, this, it's a pr prophetic picture of the fall of a leader with the call of God on his life. And we know that's the life of Saul, right? We know he was anointed by God. He's anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter... 1 Samuel chapter 10, he's prophesied over, he's walking with the prophets, he's tall, he's beautiful, he's handsomer than anybody around, he's got all of these attributes of leadership, and he abdicates it because he thinks it's about he and his kingdom and his life. The church has failed this in a million ways, focusing on my purpose, purpose-driven life, me, my kingdoms. It so easily subjugates God's kingdom for our kingdoms, Ezekiel says this, you are an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings. This is exactly what we're seeing here with Saul. To feast their eyes on you by the multitude of your iniquities in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Isn't that what the leaders did in Jesus' time? They were called by God. They were anointed of God. They were the mouthpiece of God. They were profaning his sanctuary by their trade. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are appalled at you, and you have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. It says this. It says you were a cherub anointed by God. You were an angelic being that God assigned. You know what angels do? They communicate to people on God's behalf. Every time you see an angel in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I will say, let me say, not say every time, 80 to 90% of the times they communicate on God's behalf. That's what angels do. It says, I chose you. I picked you out. I anointed you. I gave you strength, but your beauty made you proud. 
your wisdom was corrupted and you loved your money and you corrupted practices of trade, money, wisdom, beauty. That's called New York City. <laughs> money, beauty, wisdom. Like that's what cities are about. They're about beauty. They're about financial power. They're about seats of intellectual power. Beauty is such a funny thing. It's like, what are you, what are you being proud about? Like, you didn't, you didn't make, make your eyeball not be a slank eye. That's God's gift to you. Like, you could have been born with a slank eye and then tough rocks. It's like one of the dumbest things to ever be proud about. You didn't make your, your face look like that. Unless you spent hundreds of thousands of dollars of black surgery, and then maybe you did. But in general, you're born with your face. You don't develop your face. What are you proud for your face for? What's wrong with you? You should be grateful for your face. I'm grateful for my face. <laughs> money is funny. It's money is it's one of the things that corrupts people. I was thinking about um, just New York City, like we have the corrupt Wall Street guy that's lying to somebody. Uh, but it's not just rich people. We have the corrupt poor people that are stealing from CVSs like every day. Anybody have that happening in their neighborhood? They're like locking all of this stuff down because it's systemic racism, it's justified, right? If you're black, then you can steal 12 packs of beer from the store to fix systemic racism, it'll fix it. It'll solve racism. <laughs> Genius. And then our short stores shut down and then people don't have access to drugs or medicine because all these stores shut down and these poor and broken communities because these evil, wicked leaders are telling people it's okay to do that. Don't worry, insurance will take care of it. Insurance will take care of it, it's not a big deal. Your acts are wicked first before the Lord, independent of what kind of outcome they have here on the earth. And then three, check this out, wisdom. It says your wisdom was corrupted. This is funny because um, it doesn't say that you're, you, you, it doesn't say that you were a fool or you were dumb. It was actually you used your wisdom, the power of your wit, the sharpness of your mind to do corrupt things. You used the justification system that God gave you to persuade people towards righteousness, to persuade people towards darkness. And we have entire bodies of, of sophistry right now. They're using a, 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 a wit and corrupted wisdom in churches across the land that say, you know, sexuality is not a big deal. We shouldn't talk about it in church. It's really not important. You know, Jesus didn't say anything about that. That was, we're not going to. They're using corrupted wisdom to bring about darkness, and God will take their positions as his messengers and throw them to the ground. You are a guardian cherub messenger of God because of your beauty, because of how you handled money, because of the corruption of your wisdom. I threw you to the, to the garbage. And this is the judgment of God on unjust rulers. Um, this is what God does, especially uh, the judgment of God on unjust rulers that he establishes. It says this, First Samuel 31, 7, later in the chapter, And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan, when they saw the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and they fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. 
when the leader that God appointed, because of pride, because of beauty, because of cash, because of power, because of corrupted wisdom, when God threw that person down, the land that they were taking for God was re-inhabited by the enemy. That's happening right now in our nation. 1 Samuel 31.3, it says this, The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. I think this is a perfect picture because Saul's faith is in himself. He's always self-consumed with what other people think, which is why he does that major sin right a few chapters back, uh, 17, I think, uh, 16, uh, where he, he, because of the pressure of the people, uh, and, and because of a lack of faith in God, he succumbs to their pressure. He sacrifices the offering before the Lord. He loses the entirety of the kingdom because of his lack of faith, because of the lack of trusting the Lord. And there's a parallel between fiery darts and faith. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, it says this, in, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. It is the shield of faith that protects us from arrows. It is being without faith that Saul was pierced. It is reliance on self, that, that part of his nature that refuses to find his strength in the Lord and is only finding strength in self. He's not walking forward in faith, and he's pierced by the arrows of the enemy. And the picture is that when we as believers don't find our strength in the Lord when we're trying to find it in ourselves. It's easy to get pierced with the arrows of the enemy. It's easy to be pierced with his flaming arrows. 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, but this is what we're called to do. We're called to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. I think the arrows are also a picture of just things flying in the air. The scripture calls the enemy the prince of the power of the air, and we as believers, we live in this world where we get assaulted with thoughts that are from the devil. They're thoughts that are not God thoughts for you. And your call is to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and not be pierced by the lies of the enemy, but to live in faith as regarding the promises of God as they relate to you. And that's what the shield of faith is. Because if I'm living in faith, I know God's good for me. He's going to be good to me. I'm walking uh, in righteousness before him. I'm pursuing him with all of my heart. All of those arrows are going to be extinguished. It doesn't mean I won't walk through pain. It means there's purpose in, his, in pain. But Saul doesn't do that. 1 Samuel 31, 4, it says this. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. This is a really incredible contrast. Um, this is what happens to this, the, 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 the life of the unrighteous is self-suicidal. And you actually see a picture in the scripture of people that follow Christ and are followers or, fo or walk in a way of righteousness 
that turn from that way of righteousness often find self-destruction. You see it with Judas. Judas, who's following Jesus, walking with Jesus, turns from him and finds his death in suicide, in destruction of self. The ultimate betrayal of God, the destruction of the most fundamental thing that he's granted you, life itself. The scripture says it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion because life itself is the most valuable thing we have. Life is more valuable than money. Life is more valuable than wisdom. You can get wisdom. You can't get life. God has the days of your life written in his book. You can't get a second life. You can't get a third life. The scripture says it is appointed for man one time to live and then the judgment. The contrast is actually incredibly vast when you listen to Jesus' words from John 15. It says this, greater love hath no man than he that lays down his life for his friend. We know that, right? That's like a nursery basic. We all grow up with that. What is the converse of that scripture? Greater love hath no man than this, than he that lays down his life for his friend. What's the opposite? Greater, is it hatred? Is it despondency? Is it despising God itself? It's the opposite of love. Not that he who lays down his life for his friend, but he that takes his own life for his own sake. Greater love hath no man than this, than he that lays down his life for a friend. Greater hatred hath no man than this, than he that takes his life for its own sake. Saul is doing the most evil thing that you can do. The destruction of the most fundamental thing that God gives us is the destruction of life itself. And we live in this, because we live in this uh, society that's over, um, analog, over materialistic, we're like, well, that person, you know, Saul, who had psychosis, you can't really blame him. We need to have compassion here. We don't need to have compassion on the devil. We're not allowed to have compassion on the devil. Suicide is an absolute horror. Here we see Saul doing the worst thing you can possibly do. Instead of having greater love, giving his life for another, he takes his life for his own sake because he's afraid of some pain. Like, that's really the thing. He's like, I'm afraid of what those other ar uh, military guys are going to do to me. They'll embarrass me. They'll, it'll, it'll hurt. Therefore, I'm taking my own life. We had the school shooting in Texas, and the guy, you know, killed all those kids. It's absolutely horrific. And then he killed himself. It is the most, it's the most incredible picture of evil that we have in the world. And here we have it in the picture of Saul, in the person of Saul, that turns from God, turns from his ways, turns towards his own ways, and extinguishes his own life, falls on a sword. Even his servant knows, like, this is evil. I can't do this. And Saul doesn't care. He falls on his sword. It's so shameful. It's such a great evil. We as a church have to be willing to say suicide is a great evil before God. We don't say it, and we're soft on suicide. We're like, ah, the person just mentally had some problems. Then we widen the door to suicide. We widen the door to horrific acts if we don't call them horrific before God. 
And we're not saying we don't love people and we don't have compassion on people and our hearts don't go out to people. But we have to call horrible things horrible. We have to be willing to do that as a church. We have to be willing to say this is white and this is black. Or how are Christians supposed to move through this life? We're afraid to say the hard things. And if you're out here and you had a family member that died of a suicide, I'm sorry, that's horrible. I had a brother that died of a heroin overdose, and some people wondered if it was suicide, and some people didn't know what it was. It doesn't make it less horrible because I had a family member that did something like that. It's horrible. And God wants us to have exactly the opposite perspective, that we're not taking our lives for our own sake, but we're giving our lives for the sake of others. That we're living a life that's fundamentally directed at procreating, at multiplying life itself. That's why the abortion issue is such a big deal for the church. Because it's about fundamentals. Fundamentally, God is the giver of life. He's the progenitor of life. From him comes life at all times. He breathes and life comes. From the enemy, death comes. And everywhere he goes, he kills and steals and destroys. That's his mark. That's his signature. God is a God of life. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The contrast as we close between the dark king Saul and the destruction of his life and the righteous king is the righteous king Jesus lays down his own life for your sake and for mine. Despising the shame, rejection, re rejection, or rejecting the pressure of the pain that he would go through. My boys and I were watching The Passion of the Christ last week, um, and they hadn't seen it before. And it's an intense movie. Very intense. If you haven't seen it, it's intense. Um, and you're watching these scenes that Jesus is going through horrific pain for our behalf, for you and for me. It's in this prophetic sense, the exact prophetic contrast of Saul, an earthly king that was living for his own kingdom. He had wanted nothing to do with the pain. He would rather kill himself than walk through any, any pain or shame. But Jesus takes the pain and the shame of Calvary for you and for me. And he's torn open and he bleeds. And he's naked before all of mankind. And he lays down his life for us. He gives his life away as opposed to taking it for his own sake. God let us be people like Jesus. That with our lives, we, we aim to lay them down for your kingdom, for those around us, God. I was thinking, like, what does it mean in 2022? It's not like we're living in communist China where they arrest and beat and, and kill Christians. We're not there. We're in New York where happy to arrest and beat kill and kill Christians but not they haven't done it yet and then you say okay well what does your life consist of I think it consists of your time I think it consists of your resources and I think it consists of your focus 
gives us all of those things. Hebrews chapter maybe 8, 5 or 8. It says that he lives to make intercession for us. It's one of the scriptures that blows my mind. It says that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. That he didn't just give us his life on the weekend of Easter, but that he ever liveth right now to make intercession for you and for me. Those who have been adopted into his kingdom. Those that he chose before the foundation of the earth. That currently, right now, just close your eyes with me. That Jesus is making intercession for you. That the righteous king, the good king, that doesn't take his life but gives it. Even in eternity, he's giving his life to you. He's interceding for you and for me. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. Stand up with me, church. Father, we thank you for so good a salvation, for so beautiful a king, for so magnificent a savior that would give his life for sons and daughters and ever liveth to make intercession for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.